Welcome to our podcast. It's just pot. What's the problem? Brought to you by the Every Brain Matters community, a community of advocacy, support, and science that is calling for a cultural change with the widespread use of the Every Brain Matters merchandise. You can find this mer- merchandise at everybrainmatters.org and just click the store button. I'm your host, Aubrey Adams, and I'm a former Colorado mom. I'm also a mom for youth in recovery, and I direct the Every Brain Matters community. On today's podcast, we talk to Raj and Anita as they share how marijuana led to the loss of their son, Aaron, at the age of 18. I have to admit, the first time I spoke to Anita was a moment I'll never forget. When I hung up the phone after our first conversation, I was so shocked and so saddened by what I had just heard. I literally dropped to my knees and I questioned if I could continue doing this type of work and sharing these tragic stories. But after time, I realized we cannot allow Aaron and other people dying from the effects of marijuana to die in vain. And we have to help the public understand how dangerous and life-threatening marijuana truly is. Welcome, Raj and Anita. Please share a little bit about how Aaron's life was. What was he like? Aaron, he was a very smart uh, boy. You know, uh, you know, he just finished high school and was just starting college. Um, you know, before we lost him, he, um, you know, since he was a child, he was always, uh, you know. Very, very smart in the puzzles, geography. Star Wars. Oh, yeah. He liked Star Wars, you know. Yeah, he used to, you know, be, you know, into different trivia things. He used to read a lot um, as he got older, you know, teenage years, you know, play video games, things like that, movies. He liked to cook. He liked to cook. he he dreamt of opening a restaurant. Mm-hmm. He was gonna he want he was uh, he he told me he wanted to be a CMA a certified management accountant, mm-hmm. and he was at at East he went to Eastern Tech which was a magnet high school and he was in the business program. Right. He was really funny. Yeah. Really he, really funny. He was in the future everything was business leaders fun. FBLA is future business leaders of America. So yeah, he was. Yeah, he was definitely like entrepreneurial. You know, he wanted to, you know, be in some kind of business or, you know. He wanted to be friends with everybody. He wanted everybody to like him and he wanted everyone to get along. He just was a kid who liked peace. He wanted everyone to be in peace mm-hmm. and get along. He didn't like strife. Mm-hmm. And I noticed I follow you on Facebook, Anita, and I noticed that. Uh, a lot of family get-togethers, weddings, parties, and he's always dancing, always like in oh, the middle. Yeah, yeah. He, he loved to, he loved, he was like the, 
the life of the party. I, I'd say, I mean, when yeah. he walked in, you know, our family's very conservative and quiet and he, he would just brighten up the room. He would say something funny. He he would always find something funny yeah. when he entered the room and say something and everyone would start laughing. That's just how he was. So since he's gone, it's just sad all the time. So, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's tough, you know. Well, we didn't know about the marijuana until the day he passed. That's actually, I mean, but we didn't we, even know if he was using it. We, we didn't until know. Until we got his yeah. toxicology. Right. So, but in hindsight, you know, when you're looking back, you know, in the months prior and probably the year prior or a couple of years back, you're looking back and then you're seeing some signs that, you know, were there that we just never really connected it to marijuana but now as much as we know about marijuana the signs were there the signs were there and we just the paranoia didn't, we didn't see it yeah paranoid um, and thoughts describe some of the behaviors or the changes you saw in Aaron from what we from what we understand and you know his sister mentioned to us cuz she knew some, a little bit about i think the first time he used was in middle school that's what that she was, thinks. We we don't know thinks. for sure anything. Really. I remember in middle school, I was called into the office um, for, you know, I think Aaron had written something with, you know, I think he was uh, aggressively um, saying some things to another another student. And it was uh, totally out of his character because Aaron his, was yeah. a very quiet, you know, respectful, like, you know, did not use bad words. He yeah, never right. even raised his voice at me. He never even talked back to me. He was just a very easygoing child, funny as anything, but very easygoing. So like what we started seeing, what I started noticing is he was becoming more aggressive He towards me. He was becoming, uh, he was using more foul language. Like we're a very conservative family. We don't use bad language at all at home. Um, he would just make paranoid type comments to us. You know, um, he would, he became really secretive. He became secretive. He was in his room a lot. He was playing video games a lot. He was up at night a lot. He was sleeping a lot. And it was hard for us to tell, differentiate, you know, we didn't think drugs because Aaron has always had sleep problems since he was a newborn. He's even had, he even had a sleep study at three years old. So it wasn't new, like we didn't think, well, maybe he's using marijuana. That might be why he's sleeping a lot. We thought, you know. But yeah, we found out, you know, after the fact that, you know, they, you know, sometimes when he would go to work, he wasn't even working. He was, you know, picking up people. They would have, you know, some marijuana smoking in their cars. They would be doing it in their cars. But the other thing that was probably, I did smell some have a smell in one of his in his car and i thought maybe he was giving rides to people that were doing it because i when i asked him are you doing you know are you using this stuff he's like you really think that way about me dad like i would use that yeah but not just the marijuana i believe he was doing the dabs and i think that, that you know you're, there's no odor with the dabs yeah um, so you know we couldn't we didn't know that, yeah that we, we never it. smelled marijuana on him yeah. We never smelled it. Um, I, I, so I, I noticed, well, 
the family that he was friends with, um, you know, he made it, he, he made it seem like, okay, so the family actually lived like 20 minutes away from our house and they lived in a, in a, they still live in a section eight townhouse and they didn't own a car. So Aaron was, you know, we go to church every Sabbath and, you know, we teach him about helping people who are less fortunate as us. So we taught, you know, he was like, well, they don't have a car and, you know, we both work together. She's my, she was my supervisor. So can I just drop her at work with me or like pick her up and drop her at work? And then he would even like, when he was not working, he would go pick her up from work just so she wouldn't have to take an Uber at night because they worked late hours because it was a a restaurant, a chain restaurant. But we thought, you know, you know, yes, our son is learning the good Christian values that we raised him with. My grandfather was a pastor and we were thinking, okay, you know, we're doing something right. And he was, he's helping the poor like we're supposed to do. Yeah. I think it just, they ended up being business partners. And I think, you know, they started this edible business. She had a medical marijuana card, so they would get the marijuana that way and they would use it and make their edibles. Looking back now, when do you think Aaron started using marijuana? So I think back in, um, I mean, in middle school, that was probably the experimental part. I think once he got into high school and got into, you know, working at the restaurant, that's where it just, you know, we really saw changes in him exploded more Mm -hmm. and it became a lifestyle and not not just experimental anymore so he, um, he 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 acted like a thug i mean towards me especially like he would um i remember the really what woke what really got my attention was uh when he tried to punch me i was trying to kiss him he was asleep on the sofa because he he drops his sister at the bus stop and he was asleep and you know Teenage boys don't let their moms kiss or hug them. So he looked like an angel to me, you know. So I went over there to kiss him on the forehead. And I was about to kiss his forehead. And he jumps up. And he, if I didn't back away, he would have punched me right in the face. Um, and I, I remember looking at his fist and then looking at his eye. And it was really dark. And it wasn't Aaron. Now here comes the hard part. Can you describe the night Aaron died? I made the mistake of calling him when my husband and I, I woke my husband up and we looked, checked his room and Aaron was at work. So we thought this is the best time to check. Um, My husband found a black box and it was locked. And um, I just wanted to know what was in it. Raj was pretty sure that that's where he kept the marijuana. And we, um, so I called him at work. Raj was like, just leave him alone. Talk to him when we, when he comes home. I was like, no, I want an, I want to know for, cause he's, if he's been lying to us this whole time, I want to know. So I called Aaron at work and I told him, I said, Aaron, no more lies. I want the truth. I found, we found this box. Um, if you don't give me the, the combination, you're going to be, you know, I'll just take a hammer and break it. And he's like, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. I was just saving money. It's just money in there. I was saving money for a car, which we knew he was trying to buy a car. He had his own car, but he wanted to, um, his sister was going to be getting her learner's permit and he wanted to give his car to her. So when I opened it up, there was just cash in the box. Um, and I was confused. And I was like, I could have, I, I was like, I thought, that, you know, that's what I was going to find, marijuana. 
And then I, I put my hand to my nose and I smelled the skunk smell. And, and I looked closely in the box. There were little tiny pieces of what looked like herbs. So I called him back and I told him, um, you're in really big trouble. And I was probably the maddest I've ever been to him. And it was the biggest mistake I ever made. So if I was to tell a parent, if you find your child in possession of any kind of illicit drug, don't confront them, wait for them to come home, wait for them to be um, in a pleasant mood before you talk to them, have a plan just in case the child decides to do something hurtful to themselves or to others. I didn't know as much as I know now. And I made the biggest mistake of my life was to call and tell him that he was in trouble, that he was going to lose his car, he was going to lose his job, he was going to lose his privileges. And the next thing we know, you know, he didn't come home. We went looking for him. We have an app called Find Friends. He wasn't coming home. He wasn't answering his calls. And um, Raj. Yeah, I I. I finally called him because, you know, he wasn't answering his mom's call. So I called him. He answered the phone. Um, you could tell he was crying. And I, I said, and I think that's probably after he crashed his vehicle because he, he ran the vehicle off the road. It's an overpass that goes over I-95, which is a major highway. And it hit a fence. Um you know, apparently airbags came out and things like that. But, you know, he was still alive at that point. Because um, when I asked him, where are you? You know, he said, I'm on I-95. I and I, I was kind of, you know, confused because he never usually comes home that way. He takes Route 1. You know, he takes a different way to come home. And I said, what are you doing on I-95? And he said, you know, he started saying, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, Dad. I love you, Dad. And... um and I said, I, you know, he just basically said, I, I didn't want you to find what we found because, um, you know, but that actually what we found in the box wasn't actually what he had. He actually had another stash of marijuana somewhere else in his room, which we didn't find till after, after we his, cleaned his room. After he died, after 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 he on died. the day of his the funeral and when after we came back from the cemetery, I just had this overwhelming feeling like I need to clean his room. And that's when I found we found him. Yeah. yeah. So we gave it to the police, you know, and so, you know, I, you know, I just told him, you know, come home. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll figure this out, you know, but he you know. wasn't himself on he the was, phone at all. He was yeah. like, there he were, was all over the place in the yeah. few minutes he was on the conversation with his dad. See, I think not anything like him. We didn't find out about a lot of these details until after he died and we were able to get into his Snapchat there were conversations between him and his coworkers. Um, apparently he had some marijuana or some, you know, other paraphernalia in his car, which he was again, paranoid that people were going to find it. The police are after him, you know, things like that. So he was in a, in a psych, psychosis, psychosis or something. Somebody, he thought somebody was after him. Yeah. Somebody actually, told him to eat the stuff and we you know even we're, we're still even working with a lawyer right now to figure out you know because they ruled his death a suicide but if he was in a psychosis i don't know if you can really call it a suicide i mean i guess that may be up to debate but um you know because he he was not he was not planning to to kill himself that night because 
he had plans. He was going to a prom. He was going to go, you know, look Just at cars, cars with his cousin. You know, he, yeah. He didn't give anything away. No, yeah. He had so, no plans. He had so many plans. So the only explanation I can think of is just, you know, he had a psychotic event that night. So what, and, what, what happened after you talked to him on the phone, Raj? So after that, I mean, it, it just, you know, the phone went dead basically. And I think that was probably when he got hit by, he, he crashed his car on the banks of I-95 and he went out into the highway. And that's where the, there's still some controversy because, um, you know, there's supposedly, you know, the, the, the driver that struck him said that he laid down. The, his autopsy true. report shows that his his tibias were broken. You know, his his legs were broken. That looks like that would happen in a standing position. So there is some controversy there. I mean, his injuries do not look consistent with laying down on, on it the ground. It wasn't a crash injury. There, there were another eye, eyewitness that said he was thrown. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's still some things we're, we're still dealing with yeah. um, to, you know, thoroughly more investigate what happened that night. But, I, you know, we strongly feel it was a psych, psychosis that he was in. He didn't know where he was. He didn't have his glasses. He was blind. So I don't think he realized where he was in the in the highway. I think I don't a, think a, he even realized he was in the highway. He was talking to a friend that night, um, you know, when he crashed his vehicle. And that friend was supposed to be coming to pick him up. So I, I was assuming maybe he was trying to get to I-95 because that's where his friend was going to be coming. But I don't think he realized where he was in the in the highway and you know, he got struck by vehicles, by two vehicles. And there was another witness that didn't come forward that we found later who said that he was, he looked confused and um, confused and dazed. And there was no doubt that they, he did not know that he was going to get hit by a car. They said that he was confused. He was standing on the road. Like he didn't know where he was. Yeah. So that's, that's still, you know, we're trying trying to, you know, work that out with the lawyer and trying to figure out if they can change that because the the police had a lot of different. Um, I mean, they published some things saying that he left our house and went to and crashed his car. He never came home that night. Um, what did Aaron's toxicology report say? And they just did a, a general toxicology of random drugs and said he was clean. But they never check for THC. THC is not part of Maryland's toxicology. Right. So, and the, in the police report, it was very clear they stated how strong the smell of yes. the marijuana, the skunk smell, was emanating from the car. It was yes. so strong that when we went to pick up his car um, one week after his death, we couldn't even yes. breathe. Yeah. It was so strong. So that's why I feel like he listened to his friends and used the marijuana and had a psychotic event, um, you know, because he was just trying to get rid of the evidence basically and not get caught. But, it, you know, it just, you know, got him, you know, he had two different types of um, THC in his system. He had uh, Delta nine and Delta 11. That is so shocking that they didn't even test for marijuana when marijuana is such a popular drug. It's like the medical community has some type of drug bias. We know that 
Delta 11 THC in a toxicology report indicates marijuana was consumed through the digestive system. So let's revisit the sequence of events of the night Aaron lost his life. Aaron left his job. He crashed his car. And then he crashed into a tree. He crashed into a tree. And then then he got hit on the highway. He got out of his car and walked onto the highway. Okay. At and, 1045 at night. And 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 so and, and there was a friend he was in contact with telling him to eat whatever marijuana products he had on him or consume them. The, yeah, there was a there was a text group uh, people from, from his, from his co-workers from his job. So he was talking to multiple people by Snapchat. And then he was also on his, um, you know, uh, on FaceTime, know, FaceTime, while FaceTime he was with his friend. So he, he was not focused. He was he not was concentrating. That could also contribute to his, his reckless driving. Um, not only the marijuana itself, but, you know, he was just, you know, they were, they were texting, they were, um, you know, FaceTiming, you know, they're, you know, he's under the influence, you know, Plus all those things. The, contribute. the, the, the um, car, he, he hit the tree so violently. He had, he had a marks on his head. So he could have also had a concussion on top of everything. True. He the, could have had a hematoma. No, the, and when we asked the medical examiner, she couldn't tell whether he had the injury before getting hit by the cars right. or from, yes, or after. Yeah, so it is possible he had that. You he know, could he had have a had concussion a concussion before. on top of everything, was really confused, like the witness said, and walked out on the road not realizing where he was. Yeah. And when he when he got out on the highway, he was obviously hit and then and then killed. Yes. Yeah. And the first car that hit him was a 28-year-old with a history of a marijuana DUI. Couple, two or two, at least two records that we found of marijuana DUI and robbery and other uh evidence that he too himself was a marijuana user. So what are the chances that your son is on marijuana and then gets hit by somebody who is who has a history of marijuana use, which the cops did not test that guy they either. Didn't they, didn't pers- they didn't check him. They didn't yeah. do anything. And they yeah. just believed his story where he said, and, and I'm sure that he was probably scared and didn't want to be held responsible because he had a history of um, you know, criminal records. So probably made up the story that Aaron was lying down on the road when he yeah, ran over him. With it injuries. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I can. I can't even imagine how just with all these factors involved, how absolutely um, painful this is um, to, yeah. to relive and to figure out the missing pieces. And, mm-hmm. and so how did you find out Aaron was deceased? So that was the hardest thing. I mean, you know, when I when I heard silence on the phone, you know, we knew from the, you know, from the Snapchat app where he was. So I drove out there to where the overpass was because it was around that area. And I saw that a lot of the cars were stopped around that area. I I didn't want to, I don't know, I, I guess something in me, did not want to go by myself. I went back and picked up my wife to bring to bring her to the scene. And we went to the overpass and we could see the police was doing CPR on his body. Um, yeah. And um, 
And we, you know, it's like the worst nightmare a parent could ever have. Yeah. I looked down from the bridge and because all we saw was police cars. So I looked down, I was, I looked down, I mean, I looked out and I saw Aaron's car was against the tree. So I looked down from the bridge onto 95 and it was Aaron. He was lying flat on his back. He had his jeans on. His top was up and the cop was doing compressions. And I screamed and I said, Aaron, it's mom. You know, I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, he's going to wake up. (laughs) You know, you forget you're a nurse at this point. So we had to drive around because, you know, to get onto the beltway, um, there's a, you know, to get to the other side. And, um, you know, when we got to the scene, they already had covered him. And um, he already had a sheet by the time we got there. He was gone. And it just so felt they, like and a they dream. wouldn't let us see, you know, see the body. You know, they didn't want us to get because it, it was, I guess, a, a scene. You know, they didn't want us. Yeah. And so that's how we found Aaron. And so, when did you get the toxicology report that said that he had no drugs in his system? So they did that. You know, immediately the the to- the doc the toxicology, but we didn't we didn't get it for a while like i mean i think they did that you know when they were doing the autopsy they did that's just the standard thing they do but i'd see he passed in march march and, 27 2019 I, yeah so we didn't know until i think it was i had to request them to check for thc you know which didn't make any sense why i had to make that request even though his car smelled like it they found the um the burnt like substance, which is probably a dabs. I mean, there's, there's stuff that, you know, they described in the police report and they're not, you know, really, there just seems like they're just sweeping it under the rug. Um, these are serious things. I need to be checking for that because it's, you know, these are mind altering substances and it's definitely contributed to the accident that happened. Yep. And they found all the other mar- marijuana, like, like, like a homemade dab, it's now oh, that I understand the what the, yeah, the now that we understand, like we were well, well educated about marijuana and the different types of marijuana, what they described was like a dab rig, like a, a homemade dab rig. And, and the way I understand it, you had you had to request for them to test for the presence of marijuana THC, not only three once, times. but three, to- okay, three times. Three times, yeah. And so it wasn't until May, he passed in March. It wasn't until May where we actually were able to get the result. And and did they give you a reason why they wouldn't test for marijuana? They said that it was just not part of the routine tests for the toxicology, which makes no sense because the most commonly used illicit drug in Maryland, if not the United States and possibly the world, is marijuana. And then what was his levels like? What was his marijuana? Very like? high. Um, he had, I mean, it, it was equal to marijuana intoxication. And did they put marijuana intoxication as a contributing factor? No. Nope. They put it just, they just put it as a suicide. They didn't, I, we, we, at that point, you know, I did, my husband and I did tremendous amounts of research on our own and um, presented 
the case that it could have been a psychosis from all the research that we did from finding out that, you know, he had a lot of THC, just reached out to different people. The medical examiner, she was even, she's not even a full-time medical examiner. She's from California and she comes in here and does these exams. I appealed to the chief medical examiner and appealed the ruling because of the inconsistencies in her report, you know, about the, you know, how he was injured. He even, she even said that he was uh, not circumcised when he was circumcised, you know, just some things like that. She's a medical doctor. She should know the difference. And, and I pointed these things out. And what was interesting is the chief medical examiner resigned that same year. (laughs) So that's kind of interesting. There was a lot of things happening at the same time that Aaron died. Yeah. They, well, you, it was, you guys are both wonderful parents. I mean, there needs to be an Aaron law, you know, that all these, um, you know, deaths need to have the toxicology reports need to test for marijuana. You know, it, it's unbelievable. What's even more unbelievable, I'm sorry to cut you off, is is that my daughter, her school when I when when um, I came home and I I was devastated after Aaron died and I was blaming myself I was full of guilt I thought to myself if I didn't call him he would be alive if I didn't say anything to him he would be alive and my daughter came up to me and she's like mom it's not your fault she said um, it's not your fault it's my fault and I said what do you mean she said I knew he was using marijuana um, I didn't tell you because. Um, uh, some people came to my school. She was in high school then. And she said, these people came to my school and, 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 and they had a general science assembly with the science students. And one, one of the people who was talking was a cancer patient. And she was telling high schoolers, teenagers, that there's nothing wrong with marijuana. She came to a public high school and told the kids that marijuana is just an herb and it's good for pain. Um, what did she say? Pain, anxiety, and depression. Why would you tell teenagers that? So yeah. here we are spending tremendous amounts of time and, and energy into teaching our kids about drugs and how harmful it is. But people are allowed to come to our kids' high schools and talk to them and teach them that marijuana is an herb. I couldn't even believe it. I was so angry after that. I was, I was furious. So right. and why would you come to a, a high school and say that? It just didn't make any sense to me. That's awful that that happened. And that school should be held responsible. They should be they should be held accountable, allowing a person to come in there and say that because that influenced your daughter, that influenced your son. And how dare they? How dare they lie to them about such a dangerous drug? Very they, dangerous they came to they they had the, it was a science general science assembly like it wasn't just any it was literally a science assembly which makes no sense scientifically it's been proven without a doubt that marijuana is damaging to any child who uses it under the age of 25 it causes irreversible brain damage it causes schizophrenia bipolar disease i mean psychosis it, it they had no business being in the school whatsoever. I I firmly believe that if they didn't do things like that, Raina might have um, told us, you know, and 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 maybe we would have been able to get Aaron help. But because her, you know, she was thinking, oh well, these are my teachers telling us this. 
there must be nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Could you take me back? What what happened with your life after you left the scene where Aaron lost his life? What happened after that? How was your life after that? Devastating. Yeah. Two. It was took me two years to even not feel the pain. To yeah. I mean, we, we we're totally different people. I mean, I'm definitely a totally different person now. I mean, do not trust people anymore. Well, you know, I we we buried our you know my mother-in-law you know in 2014. So you know, going through you know Aaron, you know, I I kind of was familiar with the procedures and, you know, things like that, how to, you know, what to do. And so I, I was kind of trying to handle some of those um, things. My, my wife was just not in a state you know, I was there. She could do any kind of thing like that. And um, I mean, I was, obviously I was sad. My son, I didn't really have the time to really take it in. I, I think, you know, we, we took about a month off of work, um, you know, and also, you know, didn't go to church for a while. And then we we tried to kind of get back into our routine and, and our life in a sense, you know, after that. But I I don't think it was until COVID hit where I, just, you know, I realized my son is not here, you know, and, you know, because everything, you know, when everything shuts down, you know, again, both my wife and I are healthcare workers, so we were still working. But you know, when, when everybody's shut down, everybody's at home, they're doing homeschooling and my son is not here. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm closer with my other three kids now since Aaron's death, because, you know, we, we, that was such a devastating loss for us that, you know, sometimes you just take things for granted. And, um, you know, I, I'm trying to focus. I know it's still, it's not that we don't, that we trying to, you know, we don't want to forget Aaron. But at the same time, you know, we have three other kids right now that need us too. And, you know, they're also healing from this loss. And, you know, we're trying to focus on them. You know, when Aaron's birthday comes around, when his, you know, death anniversary comes around, you know, we're usually at the gravesite. He he was buried probably about an hour from where we live. So we can't go there every day because um, it's, it's, it's where his grandmother was buried. So, you know, we put them in the same, you know, in the same cemetery, but, but we definitely visit them on holidays and Christmas and things like that. I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're always praying for him and we're hoping that we're going to see him again. You know, our religion, you know, we, we feel that, you know, we believe in God and that he's going to come and, you know, we're going to see our loved ones again when he comes. So, um, that's, that that gives me hope. And that's, you know, part of our religion that we believe. Um, so, you know, he's, he's not gone forever. You know, he's, he's just resting right now and we'll see him when God comes to take us home. The sad part is the family that, um, used Aaron. The reason they, they handpicked Aaron because they knew that Aaron was very smart. He was in the business program and they wanted him to help them start this medical marijuana dispensary because they had a rap sheet. They could not apply and, and get their own license for a medical dispensary. They were using Aaron to do that. So this family faced no criminal charges because the police said marijuana is decriminalized. So not even though there's 
overwhelming evidence that this is what this family did. They're facing no nothing, and they're living in a free Section Eight townhouse. And we're paying, we're us taxpayers are paying for them, and they're selling, they're still selling marijuana from their house. Work at different restaurants, and they get children addicted to drugs, and then use those kids. And you know, it it's devastating to us because. All we want to do is educate other parents and other children to be aware because this family, they're not, this is not a, a just um, an isolated family or an isolated event. These, there are people like this in the world and there are more and more people like this in this world now than more than ever since the legalization of marijuana, because people now think, oh, well, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's it's legalized, so I can do what I want. I don't need to face any charges. Well, this family gave my 14-year-old marijuana in a brownie for her birthday, and she almost fell off the balcony. And she herself told she told the cops. The cops told us we can't do anything. Marijuana is decriminalized. She was 14 years old. These are adults in their 30s, late 30s and 40s, giving my daughter that. Anita, that is shocking. That That is so unacceptable. I can't believe they didn't charge them with something. No adult should give a child marijuana. Did you approach Aaron's job and ask him if they knew about their employees using marijuana? They don't test their workers because of the, the turnaround and staff, and it's just too expensive. And there's no laws that make them test anybody. So you have to be very careful you know, with who you associate with. And, you know, so not only are the kids friends, but, you know, their coworkers, I mean, you know, it, you have to be, be careful because, you know, again, you know, we thought that's good. You know, we're teaching him responsibility to, you know, help pay for his car insurance and things like that. You know, when I was growing up, you know, that's what we did. You know, you know, if you're going to drive then you need to, you know, help pay for some of the expenses. And, we thought, you know, helping him have a car that he'll be able to go to school, you know, go, you know, go to college and, you know, but I didn't think he would, you know, misuse that privilege, you know, to be doing this type of business that he was doing. Now listen to how marijuana changed Aaron and how Aaron was failed in so many ways. I, I I can tell you that Aaron was not the Aaron that we raised. The marijuana definitely changed him. He did not have any kind of criminal behavior before he started marijuana. He was a he was a, a wonderful child to have. I was blessed to have him as I I was blessed. I'm blessed to call him my son. You know, I know now from all the signs, all the research papers I've read, all the the wonderful people I've met. And the researchers, doctors, scientists that I've met through Parents Opposed to Pot, I, that's actually what I did after Aaron died. I put all my energy into learning as much as I could and to spread the truth about this horrible, evil drug. I, te- I tell anybody, anyone who will talk to me or even listen to me, I talk to everyone about it. You know, another interesting fact is his primary care doctor resigned also, you know, shortly after he died. And, you know, the the frustrating thing is um, they won't talk to parents about what's going on with these. Uh, Aaron was 18 when he passed. But, you know, at a certain point, they don't inform the parents if there's anything going on. Even if when we ask, you know, 
about, you know, I think my wife had asked his doctor, you know. So he, Aaron was failed every way possible. He was failed by the teachers, by the school system. He was failed by the people he worked with, the adults that worked with him, the adults that hired him. He was failed by the justice system, the police that that just didn't care to do their job properly and just put his death down as a suicide. He was failed by the medical examiner who didn't do a proper job because she's overworked and it's just a PRN job. He was failed in every step of the way. That's how he fell through the cracks and, and died. Yes, I, me and my husband have responsibility. We didn't have this, this education that we're getting now from parents of post pod and everything that you are putting out there. Um, now we know. We know. And we're trying to. And we're thankful. Know, we're thankful for it. We want you know, everyone to know. And, and I get on, you know, the talk radio sometimes. And I mentioned the website, you know, I, you know, you know, when they're talking about marijuana and they, you know, trying to find, you know, any kind of research about it, you know, I tell them to go to that website, you know, and look at some of the studies that are done, you know, so as you guys, I mean, you know, they, you know, whenever they talk about, you know, like this COVID vaccine, they always say, Where's the science behind it? So when it when it comes to marijuana, where the science is actually showing that it's not a good drug, you know, and you know they they need to pay attention to the science, you know, because it's it's there. They just choose some people just choose to ignore it. Yes, it's very interesting how we're supposed to pay attention to the science when it comes to COVID, but not when it comes to marijuana, right? It, right. There's actually science that shows that marijuana users are even more at risk for COVID because what does marijuana do? It decreases your immune system. Why would you give something like that to a cancer patient? They're already immunocompromised from the chemo and the radiation and their own disease. It makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. I feel like we're back in the forties when everybody thought cigarettes were normal and fine for everybody. You know, you know, this Mm -hmm. is marijuana. I, I don't know how many more kids have to die and, you know, tragic things have to happen before people realize that it's not a good thing for you. What do you want people to know about marijuana, the industry, and the legalization of marijuana? What the industry is really doing is using us, us here in America and around the world as guinea pigs to see what this drug actually does. While they're making all the money, we're the ones who are suffering the pain. So my my whole goal is to educate and share my story, share Aaron's story. Aaron's not here to to come to tell you, stay away from this drug. So we're his voice. And all, all I can do is tell you his story. And then hopefully you make the right choice and um, stay away from it. Stay away from all drugs. Uh, when, where, do, where do these kids get their drugs from? Instagram, Snapchat. Where, who are these people selling it? Who are these people selling these drugs to these kids? They're drug dealers and they're dangerous people. That's what I want the world to know. You, you, cannot, you cannot sign up for this because if you do, you're literally asking for drug dealers to enter your home and they are going to do it. They don't follow rules. They don't care about laws. They're going to do what they want to get their money. And they don't care if your child is going to be is going to die because of it. That's just the truth. So that's part of the message I want people to know that you can be living your life completely by the law. 
But drug dealers don't follow rules. They don't care about your life or anybody else's. And by legalizing these drugs, you're literally opening the door to your house to drug dealers. Literally. Please share more on how Aaron's death affected your family. I, I, I died with Aaron. Literally, I died with Aaron. I, I'm not the, the, the person you see in front of you now is not who I was when Aaron was alive. You lose a part of you and you never gain it back. And from all the trauma that we experienced since Aaron's death, we will never be the same again. Our kids are suffering. They, they were so close to their brother. I mean, they'll never be normal. Yeah, and I, I feel like sometimes, you know, things happen for a reason. And if, you know, us spreading education saves another child, um, you know, or more, you know, then, you know, I, I, I can never justify my son's death. But, you know, again, somehow, you know, this did give us an opportunity to be more educated about this issue. And I feel like his... He can probably rest in peace if we can save more more other children on his behalf. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we're just Aaron's voice. Raj and Anita, do you have any final messages for our listeners? I just try to stay away from it. You know, it's, it's not good for you, no matter what the media tells you, um, or these celebrities or anybody that's using it stay away from it there's no benefit from it i I don't i think it's just going to give you pain in the long run we can't trust the media to share the truth so i think we as parents have to take that reign and do it ourselves we have the power to do it we have the power to change the world we don't need to rely on the journalists to tell our stories we can do it ourselves we have all these social medias, they can be used for bad and they can be used for good. And I really just, one of the things I wanna make sure is the Indian community, we come from an Indian community that's very, very conservative. They like to hide things under, Asian communities are the same way. They like to, you know, not talk about this stuff. But the truth is it's happening everywhere. The definition of courage is strength in the face of pain or grief. Raj and Anita, you are courageous, and you have set an example for all of us. Thank you for being Aaron's voice and sharing his story with us. Thank you for sharing your son with us. Every Brain Matters looks forward to working with you to spread education on the harms of marijuana. Our deepest condolences to you and your family. To our viewers, to our listeners, Let's take a moment of silence to remember Aaron right now. Every Brain Matters is a community of support, advocacy, and science. We call for a cultural change by the use of our logo on our merchandise to make a visual public awareness that truly states every brain matters. Visit our website at everybrainmatters.org and click on the store button. We'll see you next time on our podcast. It's just pot. What's the problem?